Hey everybody, welcome to GasCast Games and Sports. I'm Jake. I'm Josh. And today we're talking about Iron Chef, the original, not Iron Chef America or Iron Chef Thailand, which there is a surprising amount of on YouTube. Uh, we'll talk about that, how we watched it later. We were going to explain how Iron Chef works, but then uh, listener Ross Butler sent in, and that's not the one who's going to be playing Reggie Milton in the new Riverdale series, or is it? We don't know. We, I, have, I have yet to see any pictures, but he sent us in this really awesome intro, so we're going to play that right now. If memory serves me correctly, many years ago, one man's fantasy became a reality in a form never seen before, but often imitated later. Kitchen Stadium, a giant cooking arena. Chairman Takeshi Kaga had spent a fortune creating Kitchen Stadium in order to encounter new original cuisines which could be called true artistic creations. To realize his dream... He had secretly chosen the top chefs of various styles of cooking. He named them the Tetsujin, or Iron Chefs, the invincible men of culinary skills. They were Iron Chef Chinese, Chan Kinichi, Iron Chef Italian, Masahiko Kobe, Iron Chef French, Yutaka Ishinabe, who would retire and pass his title on to Hiroyuki Sakai, and Iron Chef Japanese, Roksaburo Michiba, who would pass his title on to Komei Nakamura, who would then pass it on to Masaharu Morimoto, who would carry the title and competition into America. In Kitchen Stadium, the Iron Chefs awaited the challenges of master chefs from around the world, for which both the Iron Chef and the Challenger would be given an exotic-themed ingredient and have one hour to use all of their senses, skill, and creativity to prepare artistic dishes never tasted before. Chairman Kaga and a panel of notable guests from the culinary and entertainment worlds would then taste and judge the dishes to determine the winner. If ever a challenger defeated the Iron Chef, he or she would gain the people's ovation and fame forever. Now, the gates of Kitchen Stadium open once more. Chairman Kaga, assemble your Iron Chefs. Your history is on the line as two master podcasters have come to pit their skills against you in a battle across time. From Austin, Texas, we welcome Jake and Josh. What inspiration do they bring? How will you and your Iron Chefs fight back? The heat will be on. Ale cuisine! Wasn't that awesome, you guys? Isn't his voice just, like, super dreamy? So, so nice. And you know what? We thought it was so nice that we invited him on the show. Ross Butler, say hi. Hello, everybody. You said you are very into Iron Chef. Very much so. And in fact, it's too bad that this isn't a video podcast, because if it were, I could actually walk out on stage and then look dramatically out over the audience and then take a bite out of my iPhone. And then you guys could rise <laughs> up, each holding a microphone. And, and uh, Jake, you could have your hair stuck straight up like Iron Chef Kobe's hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this show is pretty insane. Uh, Josh, had you ever seen the show before? I've never seen it before. I've heard like of Iron Chef America um, I never really watched it because I thought it was just like a cooking competition. I didn't think it was anything special. The Iron Chef America is, it's based off the original and America's okay. It's more about the cooking. It's not so much the storyline like the, like the original was. Um, Mark DeCoscos is great in it though. If you, if you've watched I an episode of him, he's, yeah, he's amazing. Love but, Mark DeCoscos. He was yeah. the crow in the crow TV show and I'm the only human alive that's seen that show. <laughs> yeah. 
but in in Iron Chef America, he's stylized as a descendant of the original chairman of it, and he, he'll come out and do the same kind of theatrics, and he'll he'll do a lot of acrobatics as well. So that's an interesting addition. Yeah, just like a backflip to get onto the stage, I think, yeah. or maybe like a handspring, something to that yeah. effect. Yeah, and then just does a great introduction of the theme ingredient. But anyway, we're talking about the original one, so I'll I'll leave that one alone for now. But yeah, so in in Iron Chef, you said you mentioned it. There's a storyline, which is insane to me because it's like. A reality cooking show, ostensibly. They, but yeah, it's a real cooking competition between... Well, the episode I watched was two people. I don't know if it's always two people. It's usually two people. There's, okay. There are some exceptions. Uh, but it's just... It was described to you as Lucha Underground, but for cooking. And it very much is Which that. is why we're doing this episode. Yeah. And see, that's where it comes in as a little bit of a different take to me, because I've barely watched any, any Lucha Underground. It, it has a lot of the ingredients that I like. Um, no pun intended with this being Iron Chef related. Um, it's, and when it, when it started, it had Alberto Del Rio or El Patron or whatever he was in Lucha Underground and Johnny Mundo. And, um, I think Eve Torres was in it at the very beginning. I, I, had, um, I didn't start watching it till the very end of the first season. So I, I don't know if she was still involved with that. I point. don't think Eve Torres was in there. Um, I know... The sexy star and Evilise, I think you might. Be yeah, yeah, Evilise. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people that I that I'm interested in, but uh, when you're trying to keep up with Raw and SmackDown and NXT and all that, there's just so much time for wrestling that you have in a week, and you can scuttle something and watch Lucha Underground. It yeah, is bananas. <laughs> Check like and and it's like so serialized, like you have to start at the beginning. But like right. Like at the end, like it's season two is going on now. I know we're talking about Lucha Underground, but like we'll we'll get back to Iron Chef in a second. Uh, the, in, everything in relates season, to wrestling. Pretty much. It all comes back. Uh, In episode nine of season two of Lucha Underground, they like finally reveal this big bad that they've been talking about for the entire time. And it's insane. Like he comes out and destroys everybody in like in a way that you've never seen like a monster be revealed before. And it's just like it's absolutely crazy. And then like there's like like, okay, here's the best thing. There's a dragon. There's a there's a luchador who might be a real dragon. He is a real dragon. I think I, I think that's confirmed. He's, at the end of season. I can't yeah, he's his a name. real. Uh, his name's Drago. He's a real okay. dragon, and he's best friends with an astronaut, uh, like an astronaut time traveler. Okay, he's either a time traveler or just immortal. Yeah, or super long lived. We can't decide we, which one they're going with. Yeah, we don't know yet. I lived through the kiss demon, so <laughs> nothing is that out of the ordinary. But <laughs> oh god, Del Torgo. I, <laughs> I had an autographed picture of the the WCW demon. <laughs> I just watched it on TV. Because <laughs> I was a WCW kid. Um, so anyway, back to Iron Chef. Let's try to let's try to stay on top of that. There there is a storyline, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, I, think, I did not really pick up a lot of storyline, at least in the one that I watched. It's it's more of like an overarching thing okay. than like individual episodes. Like I read about there were cooking factions. Does, <laughs> yeah like that, yeah I was going to cover that later on, and when it gets to the end of the lineage, so to speak, of the of the Japanese position. But yeah, there's there's. It's kind of like the New World Order, but if that's it what were I told the, Josh earlier. <laughs> if it were the Old world, world Order, because it's about preserving the antiquity style and all that, and they they come in with full presentation. They come in with this billboard of the of the chairman, so to speak. He's uh, it's called the Oda faction. It's no relation yeah. to one of the other people whose last name is also Oda, but uh, it's it's usually one guy. I think his name is uh, it's Kandagawa something. I think it's Toshiro Kandagawa. And um, he he makes a frequent appearance as, as challenging Iron Chefs. They really step it up at the end of the series, though, when the third Iron Chef Japan has has come aboard as kind of a rival to him because his yeah. his specialty is fusion cooking that in, incorporates all kinds of new styles. 
well, this faction is all about preserving the antiquity style to the point where they're even coming in in samurai garb every once in a while. Yeah, it's like I read yeah. about this. It's insane. There is a there is a faction dedicated to taking down Masaharu Morimoto, mm-hmm. and like because he has like new styles of cooking, and they don't like that. And like that's so pro wrestling. Like, that <laughs> yeah. is so yeah. awesome. So let's talk about. Uh, I think what we'll do is we like to follow the format. We'll talk about the stages of the actual cooking. Um, like like how the show operates, and then we'll talk about statistics afterwards because there is a statistics page on the Wikipedia. Oh boy, our our favorite. <laughs> They're color coded. God, I love the Iron Chefs. <laughs> I love that they are color coded. They have like their own like when they like because I I the first the the first episode I watched was uh, the first one they dubbed, which is Masaharu Morimoto's first episode mm-hmm. um, against I forget the guy's name, but he was like a like a old like old Japanese style traditionalist. And uh, like they're like, oh, what's he gonna look like? What's his, what's his, you know, what's his outfit gonna look like? And he comes up and he's just like silver, like he's <laughs> a Power Ranger. It's great. It's uh, it's super good. Uh, we'll talk about the like how the the format of the show first, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, going back to the wrestling parallels, the uh, Oda faction, there was actually a retirement match involved in one of this. Um, I mentioned the middle Iron Chef Japan, um, Kome Nakamura. His yeah. he uh, went against the the main guy of the Oda faction and he beat him and so his last his very next competition was the last one that he was in so they basically had a retirement match in which that's, the Iron Chef lost so <laughs> yeah that's awesome like I I read um, that one of the commentators Doc something like Doctor Hattori was yeah yeah he um he was a like the reason he was like a full time commentator is because he made like a bet with the chairman. And like he had to face an Iron Chef, I forget what would happen if he won. But if he lost, he had to be the commentator for the rest of the series, and mm-hmm. he was, yeah. Uh, which is so cool. That's like that's a Lucha de Apuesta. That's a hair versus mask match. It's so yeah. great. <laughs> All right. So the format of the show is as follows: the chairman comes out, and he's in like some ridiculous outfit, and he like reveals what the secret ingredient is, and that's every dish has to incorporate this secret ingredient. Uh, in some way and sometimes that seems impossible to me um but they just do it every time because like yeah being a chef is just like so foreign to me if someone said here's three things make a dish out of it i'd be like i'm just gonna put those three things in a pot (laughs) (laughs) well and this is one of the parts of it that really interested me is because when they when they reveal the secret ingredient they usually lead in with with an intro kind of like what i did to start the show uh, where they talk about the background of where the inf- where the ingredient is from, or they'll talk about the challenger that's coming in, or just uh, some random historical thing that the chairman happens to think of, and it's this big dramatic presentation that really really flavors the show. Uh, enough with the puns, right? A pun monster. <laughs> I'm surrounded by pun monsters here. <laughs> hey, dad jokes are awesome too. So Wi-Fi yeah, for yeah. that. Um, team no dad jokes. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's one of the things that always interests me is just as a fan of Japanese culture, that's what really hooked me into the show was just the little intro bits where he would talk about the background of what was going on. And so, go ahead. Oh, I was listening to you. (laughs) Well, I I have that effect. Um, Uh, (laughs) I forgot where I was going with it, actually, so (laughs) I was good. Uh, Okay, yeah. um, Yeah, that's another (laughs) thing I I also really like because it's like it's different every time. Um, The two that I watched were – I watched the the first one they dubbed and the last episode ever, which was uh, Sakai Bitch. versus Alan Passard, something Passard for like the title "Best Chef in the World." 
Uh, and and it was battle. It was like uh, the battle was like long gong chicken, which is like chicken made like that is raised and bred very specifically in this one like town in in China that is like it's the best chicken in the world, like according to everyone. And like, mm-hmm. it, but like they they were it was their like the French cuisine styles. They were both uh, French cuisine, and like they were fighting for like the glory of being number one in the world. Uh, it's pretty insane because like they. Like you, they come up and like sometimes there'll be like an assortment of ingredients. It's all the same thing, but it's like different types, you know. Like, like if it was honey, it would be like here's some honey, here's some honeycomb, here's some like yeah, that like creamy honey stuff. The mm-hmm. the episode I watched was episode one hundred and sixteen, and the ingredient there was a not so secret ingredient. It was a Valentine's Day episode, at okay. least the dubbed version was. So they needed to use chocolate, and they knew that, I guess. Uh, but the mm-hmm. secret ingredient was pears. Did they tell him about that? Or was it like, if you don't use pears, you're eliminated? <laughs> well, you're that, that was... <laughs> pears, ro- a giant mound of pears rose up from under the ground on a platform. Yeah. Uh, then they rushed over there and just put a bunch of them in a bucket. Yeah, it, and they just, like, they run over and they grab it and they're like, oh, this is a good one. These are, the, these are the ones that I need. And then they, like, get a bunch of other ingredients, start cooking within, like, four seconds. They only have an hour to do this. I don't think I don't think we mentioned it. I th- you, you probably mentioned it in your intro. Uh, but, like, they have an hour to, to make four to eight courses um which is crazy to me because I, I like tonight for dinner i had some spam and some potatoes and some eggs and that took me like 12 minutes and i was just panicking the whole time like i can't <laughs> i can't imagine having all these like plates spinning literal plates now i'm doing it great it's, it's <laughs> just join like us yeah <laughs> Never. Uh, so, yeah, like, just, like, all this stuff you got to juggle in the air. And, like, that's from the jump. Like, the second he's, like, Alley Cuisine, you have to go. Like, yeah. you don't have a second to stop. Also, in the episode that I did, they were not making one dish. It was a dessert challenge. And the Iron Chef, it was Iron Chef French. Let me get his name. Sakai? Yeah, Sakai. Well, it might uh, have been he, the other French one, too. I never saw any of his. I just knew he was there. But, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it was Sakai. He made three different desserts in an hour. Yeah. And it, the challenger... Uh, Tadashi Yanagi. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I never know if I'm saying uh, Japanese names right. Probably not. You thought you thought Takaki Watanabe's name was what a name. What a name. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> and what a name he was. Uh, but Tadashi Yanagi is he won a silver medal in some international dessert competition. So he's the second best dessert maker in the world. Uh, and he only was able to make two dishes in an hour. That's nuts. Like that. Uh, nor- normally, like the, di- the dish that he made to win that silver medal took him seven hours to make. Oh, uh. <laughs> the only if I'm cooking for seven hours, it's because I have something in a crock pot. <laughs> like, and it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, or it's like, oh, I'm gonna make pulled pork. Let me just put this in before, like, yeah, I wake <laughs> up, like, I get up at like three thirty, four o'clock every morning, and I was like, oh, put it in right now. And when I get home from work in nine hours, I'll it'll be ready. It's like, that's it. No work. I don't have to like slave over anything. It's just set it and forget it. But like these guys are like maintaining, and it's usually four to eight. I think eight was the maximum. It's usually between four and and seven uh, dishes, and you might be able to like. Speak to that better than I can, Ross. No, that's about right. I mean, um, but it, uh, not all not all the time was spent on dishes. A lot of times, some of them would write out this ornate looking menu, and then the commentators would be, "What are you guys doing? You you've only got an hour to do this." 
uh, there was there was actually one time where they actually went around the time limit. It was an anglerfish battle, and they gave them an hour and fifteen minutes, I believe, because there's just so much involved in the preparation, and you're not even supposed to use the the flesh of the fish. It, it's all involved with the guts and everything. It was the it was one of the grossest things you've ever seen if you Ugh. if you watch the episodes. And I'm glad I did not. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, but yeah, it's usually between four and eight. Uh, I don't. I don't remember the maximum number. I think they went into double digits one time, but I don't remember what it is. So and so fast paced too is the other thing. Is yeah. like it is they they jump back and forth from like you know the challenger to the iron chef. Like when they're like doing the commentary, they're never at the same place when you get back. And they're it looks like they're making like they're in like completely different universes because like the the way the kitchen stadium is. Oh, also it's called kitchen stadium, which is probably it's, the greatest. It's name. a literal <laughs> temple. But a kitchen in the middle. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and like, the way it's set up is there's, like, two sides to it. You know, one for the challenger, one for the iron chef. And they're set up differently. Like, they're, like, you can tell, like, there's, like, one that's set up for, like, challengers. And there's, like, the way that the iron chef likes his kitchen to be right. on the other side. <laughs> they just jump between things. And, like, you'll cut back and they'll be like, oh, uh, he's putting crab legs in a steamer and then it'll cut to the other guy and it'll cut back and be like, now he's making crab ice cream and you're like, hold on, <laughs> where, where did this come from? Where, how did we get here? Yeah, and I mean, that that just adds to the pressure because you talk about all the all the stress that's involved in cooking something. Not only is it that, but you also have somebody constantly hassling you because there's a floor reporter that goes around and is just interviewing both of the chefs and uh, it's usually just the team that's doing most of the cooking. The chef is doing a lot of the preparation and giving instruction because yeah. the floor reporter, the, the the Oda guy that I mentioned earlier, he's constantly going around and hassling both of them and just getting color, play-by-play, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Any episode that you watch is just intercut by Fukusan all the time. I yeah, was going to ask gonna you ask about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because one of the analysts' name was Fukui, and it was just shortened of it was Fukusan. And that's okay. the, the politeness was he he didn't want to just start talking over people. Not that I know anybody that does that. Um, but so he would always um, notify the the uh, two panelists that he had something to say. And then it was usually Dr. Hattori. Um, who was the other one? It was Dr. Uh, it was Yukio Hattori and Kenji Fukui was the other one, obviously, would be yeah. the focus on who he was looking for. And it would be he would throw it back to Oda. And he would go ahead and talk about his commentary that he had about what was going on down on the floor. Yeah, like he kept like because because we watched the English dubs. I don't know if you watched any episodes to um to get ready for this or, or just had like, a, a all, couple, a couple already. Um, so because I watched two episodes, Josh watched the one today. Um, and like every minute he's like a focus on, and I was like, is that like if Josh was talking and I wanted to talk, I'd be like, Josh, excuse me, and then I would like talk. <laughs> yeah, is that is that essentially exactly, what that is? Yeah, that's exactly well, think, what it is. What I got from it is that that guy who kept coming in was, like, down on the battlefield getting, like, intel. Because yes. mm-hmm. every time, like, the commentators, and there were guest commentators there, on There's, mine. like, the judges uh, on okay. all of them. Yeah, those are the people who, like, eat at the end. They also do commentary yeah, yeah. throughout the thing. Uh, but they would, like, say something like, oh, I think he's putting honey in there to make, like, some caramel. And then he would come in and tell them exactly what was going into the pan or, like, exactly what was going into the pot yeah. or just what the chef was thinking at the time. Right. I like the I like the way they do it because it like it's not like you need another layer of pressure, but it is it adds another one. I'd be like, oh, now you also have to explain to everyone because this yeah. is like a show. Like you do want it to be like exciting, you know. Aside from just like pots and pans everywhere and steam and and you know, pressure cookers and whatever, like you have to like also be like, oh, this is what I'm doing, and then I guess like just be okay with that because like now your competition knows exactly what you're making. 
you know, but I guess, I guess by that time, like by, I guess two minutes in, you already know what you're doing. Like you already know what you're going to be doing for all five meals or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They'd usually come up with the basic plan of what they were doing because like I said, they had a whole team that they had to get started on this. And then the chef, the main chef, whether it be the iron chef or the challenger would then go delegate out what he had each little team to do. So they'd already be working on it. There was very little addition of, Hey, I'm going to make something else. Right, and, or like I'm not, I'm not gonna adjust what I'm making because he's making that. Because like, I mean, if he's like, yeah, I'm making this flambe. I don't actually know what a flambe is. I assume it has something to do with fire. Um, yes. <laughs> like I would, I, I'm making this flambe, and the other guy's like, oh, I'm, I'm making a flambe too. Oh no, most, <laughs> most cooking has to do with fire. But, but. <laughs> Flambe is like you light Do something you light on, fire on fire in a I pan. <laughs> I also don't know what is a that flambe it? is. A lot of it know. is where the fire is applied because flambe means it's served while on fire. But okay, that's not what I thought it was. I guess it's close enough. But when it would when it would be a last minute addition, it'd usually be just something random that the, uh, the one of the chefs would think of. Like um, Sakai had a battle one time where they were doing uh, cod, and he had pulled out a bunch of codro and had it left over, and he was like. I can make ice cream with that. And oh, it was Ro- apparently Fred, as disgusting as it is, sounded because all the panelists uh, judged it inedible. <laughs> I was, okay, I was that reading was one of the episodes that, I watched last night. Yeah. Let's talk about Sakai for a minute because this guy is like a Native American hunter. He uses every piece of every food that he made. He was making a pear dish and it was like a baked pear with like a honey glaze and like a cinnamon stick and some chocolate yeah. on it. Uh, but he like he peeled the pear and then he deep fried the peels and incorporated the deep fried peels back onto that same pear dish. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Uh, are you talking about the soft roe in sake with truffles? Um, I believe so. I just remember it was. Yeah, they they ended up just reclassifying it as this isn't really ice cream. It's just, it's it's just soft roe. <laughs> But they, one of the panelists was the entire time that he was making it, she was just like, I'm not eating that. I refuse to eat that. I will not touch that. And then she ended up having to because she was one of the panelists. And she was like, this awful. This is so bad. Yeah, I'm looking at the, uh, they have like noticeable dishes or notable dishes. So they have like the five best and then the three worst. The three worst. That's one of, that's one of the worst, which has got to be such like a, such a blow to your ego. Where you're like, I'm one of the best in the world. And but I made a bad, I did a bad job. But at the same same time he did not need to use those guts he could have just no. discarded them but he decided to make them another dish an ice cream like an ice like, cream <laughs> i because i i have the only row i've ever had is lobster row because it's like this green kind of snot looking stuff and it's good if you're into it i like i like it i know it's not for everybody but like I, we don't do anything me and my dad just like eat it like we just have like a fork and we just eat it like that like we don't we don't gussy it up at all he also made a pear ice cream on the episode that i watched so that sounds good. But, yeah. yeah. Ice cream is like, a, like a, a, a really common dessert because you can just like put some stuff in and the, you know, the base ingredients for ice cream into an ice cream maker and be like, all right, this is basically that, but ice cream now. No, I don't think, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think the ice cream had pear in it. It was like white chocolate and some honey and some other, um, some kind of like white chocolate mousse or something that he put in there to make an ice cream with. And then he put it inside the, like a hollow spot in half a pear. And that was a different dish, and you drizzled like chocolate over it. Yeah, uh, I really want to eat some pears after watching this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the problem that I had. I like I had to eat right before this because I was like, if I talk about Iron Chef on an empty stomach, it's gonna be a bad night. <laughs> oh, you want to know what I ate before I came over for this? A bologna sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I, I like I said earlier, I had eggs, spam, and uh, some potatoes. <laughs> also, what I had last night because I just had leftover like chopped up potatoes. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I'm gonna be an Iron Chef today. <laughs> well, I had a Santa Fe chicken salad, so I, I, I mine was a little bit better, but. You got an actual Iron Chef over here, uh, <laughs> fancy pants. Well, um, it was to go from. <laughs> don't don't tell them that, right? You can just just lie, just lie. They can't see you. They don't know. No, no one's coming to your door. That's like the bulk of the episode because you have an hour, and that includes like getting the ingredients, cooking, and plating. And plating is the most stressful thing I've ever watched in any competition ever, except for like maybe like really good Royal Rumbles when you're like, oh god, who's gonna win? You know, but like because you, you get to that last like three minutes and they push it sometimes they like, they push it like way close to the end because like they have to plate one for each judge one for the chairman and one for like the presentation which is like a video yeah the video package, package of, it. of it yeah so that's six plates per dish later it was seven because there were four no, no, you're right. Yeah, because there, because there were they, there were three at first, three judges, and then they went to four judges, or maybe there was the opposite. My episode was a four judge episode. I mine was a three and then a four, but I don't know if they switched back and forth it as really needed. Really weird because I think one of the judges was not doing commentary throughout the episode. He was just there for the food because I did not recognize his voice when we got to the judging phase. Yeah, there's this one, uh, he's some kind of politician, he's a lower house member, I don't remember exactly what that is, but he's on almost every single episode. Uh, Kurimoto's his name, is that the guy you were thinking of? It might have been, I want to say he was an author, but that might have been oh, any okay. of the other judges. Yeah, there's-, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of others that are very frequent appears, but Kurimoto's on almost every episode that I've uh, that I've seen. And he never, he never does any commentary, he just sits there with his mouth shut until it's time for judging and then can't right. shut him up. <laughs> I think I might have no. He might have been one. No, I think I think I'm. He wasn't on the ones that I watched. Uh, he might. Have, he, he was probably in the last one because that was like the big send off. I watched like the final episode of mm-hmm. Iron Chef, um, which was like everything was different. Like the lighting was different and everything. Like it was a lot brighter and like everything was gold and reflective <laughs> and like just like really grand. The, the plating is fascinating to me because I am uh, a garbage cooker uh, <laughs> in that I'm like this is fine. Like, this is going to taste okay. It doesn't need to be pretty at all. So when I see people, like, plating to, like, specifically make food look good, I'm like, that's a waste of my time. I don't know why you would do that for me. Like, But, like, they, they like the, the Morimoto episode that I watched, uh, he was like, oh, make sure you get those tail, like, dorsal fins out. Like, in the very beginning. And they're like, why? You can't eat them. And he's like, don't worry about it. And then, like, later, it's because they look like carp, because the battle was, like, snapper, a red snapper. And so, like, these little dorsal fins look like a fish, and he used that as garnish. Like, he just dipped them in sugar <laughs> and then put it in, like, a applesauce martini sort of thing. And, and it's like, I would never in a million years be like, oh, you know that one part inside the fish that looks like another fish? Let's use that to decorate our applesauce martinis. <laughs> any, uh, any notable plates that you guys saw? One of the ones that I most remember, I don't even remember what it was. I just remember it was Chenkinichi uh, was the one making it. And it was uh, going back to the down to the wire thing where he was basically sprinting to the plating area and almost just dumped it over a bunch of bowls. I don't even remember what it was or what the main ingredient was. I just remember oh. that he w- waited until the very last second to get it plated because it was something that had to be cooked for a specific, very short amount of time under very high heat. And it was something that you had to basically immediately consume afterwards. So it was, 
it was like going to had... be down to the wire regardless of what he did. So he just right. basically waited till the very last minute, uh, cooked it real quick, and then just threw it in the bowls. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I also I read that um, if the if the ingredient is noodles, then they they do it differently because like you have to cook noodles in a different way than like meat, obviously. But like depending on what it was, they would like stop at a point and then I guess pick up later like stuff and then they would judge that dish and they would come back maybe i, f- I forget exactly what it, what i read but it was like just like a different set of rules yeah that's that's yeah. exactly what it was it would um it would i think it was the challenger that would go for go first so the challenger's time would run as normal and then the iron chef his time would uh stop with five minutes to go so that uh when the ch- when it was nearing the end of the challenger's turn it would then resume back his time would start up again and that's when he would finish cooking the noodles so that they could be served fresh that sounds so stressful because <laughs> like I don't time like when I make noodles, I just like like eat one every once in a while until I'm like, that's fine. That's how noodles are. And then I'm like, good enough. <laughs> when I make noodles, 90 percent of the time it's just ramen. So I just throw it in a pot. I see what time it is. And then I take it out three minutes after that. Uh, <laughs> and then it's like, well, it's good. <laughs> I follow the directions. <laughs> yeah. Anything else about the actual like cooking or the plating phase before we before we talk about the judging. Um, not that I can think of. Okay. Can, um, we, can we go back just for a second? Because a weird sure. thing happened in the episode that I watched, and it okay. probably it was a theatrical thing. It probably happens in every episode. Uh, I think it was after they did like a little vignette on the Challenger, and then before the cooking started, it might have been a throw to and then back from a commercial. But the chairman, whose name I do not know, Kaga. Kaga. Yeah, he came. He just came out into the empty kitchen arena, and he was just like walking along that raised platform. Yeah, and then he stopped and like tasted something, and then the camera zoomed out, and the arena was full of chefs. I feel like that happens in a lot of them. I don't know if that's every episode, but that happened in the one I watched too. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty standard intro. Um, it's usually a yellow bell pepper that he eats, but he's usually dressed in something different each time. That so is it's not what it just was. A, it's not just a static intro that they film and keep using it. They do it every single episode of a new costume for him. Yeah, it was like a plate of just a bunch of peppers, and he grabbed a yellow bell pepper and just took a bite out of it like an apple, and it made him so happy that a million chefs appeared like in the an arena. army of ghost chefs appeared? Because like, that happened, and I was like legitimately scared for a second. I was, I was like, who are these? Are these the people that lost? These, if you <laughs> the lose, of the then, then Chairman Kaga gets your soul. <laughs> oh, God, he's the Shang Tsung. Your soul is mine. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, yeah, but like he takes the bite out of the pepper, and then he does like look at the camera, and he's like, "Yeah, this is what I wanted. This is it." <laughs> um, it's like the pageantry, and like uh, I did not know that they did it differently every time. Uh, that's amazing to me because Japan has this like precision pageantry. Like they know exactly how to make things the grandest. Like if you watch WrestleMania and then you watch Wrestle Kingdom, whatever. Like Wrestle Kingdom has better entrances because like you know they'll carry out a coffin. Like four guys will carry out a coffin and put it on the ground and Prince Devitt will walk out of this coffin painted like venom, you mm-hmm. know, or like a, like dead ghost venom or whatever. And like, but then, you know, John Cena like walks to the ring. Like he kind of, Somet- sometimes sprints. there's like 20 other John Cena's doing the, you can't see me down right. the side of the aisle. That's his WrestleMania entrance or yeah. the new day comes out of a box of cereal. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, that's pretty neat. <laughs> but then, like, like Dragon Ball Z characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or but then like you know like I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 9 like Okada comes out with a buster sword and cuts the head off an animatronic velociraptor. <laughs> nice. Like, one of those is way better than the other one. <laughs> and like the fact that they just take the time to like 
have him in a new ridiculous costume every single time just tickles me to no end. And I'm still worried about those ghost chefs. <laughs> <laughs> on that, that goes back to the plating um, attention paid to the detail on that one. It's it's a lot of reflection of the culture. Is is the the precision is is part of the skill set. And the more that you demonstrate your skills, that's the more care that you're putting into it. And it's 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 part of the honor culture that's over there. And there were some revolutionary things that happened in that show. Um, it's a very patriarchal society, especially in that point in time, because this was this was twenty plus years ago that this was made. Yeah, it was uh, like ninety. It ended in ninety nine. Yeah, the episode yeah. I watched is from nineteen ninety six. And they actually had a a woman challenger on there one time, and th- that doesn't sound like such a big deal now, but for the culture and the time, that was huge. And they actually had her go against one of the main people. She actually went against Sakai. So it's not like they just threw her down to Kobe or something who, because who, I'm a diss on Kobe a lot. Italian wasn't a big staple of the culture at that point. Yeah, he, was, didn't, he didn't get his own platform. Like right, he had to walk right. out on stage. <laughs> right. Like also, also this guy. Yeah, and I mean, he was he was the youngest one there till Morimoto showed up. Uh, but Sakai was, was, he wasn't one of the originals, but he was one of the more venerated ones as uh, in, time went in, on. The Dude. finale, they called him the king of the Iron Chefs. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he was obviously very high in stature. And that's why I say that was really huge for them to actually have a, a female challenger and challenge Sakai. Yeah. Do all the Iron Chefs, when they raise up on their brood platforms, are they all holding an item? I believe so. I think one is only scratching his chin or something like that. I remember okay. Sakai holds a pear. He holds Tenichi a pear. He holds a cleaver. Uh, Kobe holds a tomato. That's my guy. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what Morimoto does. I think he may. I think he may just be like flexing or something. I don't remember. Okay. Because um, he, he came up holding a pear, and I thought that was just like because that was the ingredient. But then the commentary team was just like, "That's his thing. Is that he holds a pear. He loves <laughs> pears. Pears <laughs> are his favorite." <laughs> uh, he also said, "I think it was like right after they finished cooking, um, they were doing some kind of like interview thing." I think before judging, or maybe it was after judging, I can't quite remember, where they interviewed the challenger and the Iron Chef about like the competition. And Sakai was like, I hate doing desserts, but I'm the only dessert chef that is here right now. And he went into this one 2-0. and oh. yeah. He's undefeated in dessert battles so far. Mm. Like I said, like the, the pageantry is like worth a watch, at least. And guys, uh, it's like all on YouTube. You can, you can YouTube like I all of it. I found a playlist that I think yeah, is there's... all of the dubs. So Yeah. And I mean, you don't have to be—you don't have to have the slightest interest in cooking to be interested in it. Like I said, what what hooked me on this was just the reflections on the culture, and I guarantee you that there can be something that just sounds absolutely horrible. And after the video package that plays about the background of the area that the ingredient is from, or the ingredient itself, the tradition behind it, you'll probably want to try it. Yeah, I've <laughs> yeah. I've never looked at and and like they they'll describe things that I'm like I don't like that type of like i don't i don't like spicy foods right like at all because i'm a baby but they'll be like this is a a, a ghost pepper ice cream or whatever and mm-hmm. i'll be like no i'll try it like if i was there yeah i'd try that like and i would die on the stage when i when i'd be like it was fine i guess and then like, my soul well, leaves my body and then and i'm a ghost the chef, chef now. yes and then i'm now the worst ghost chef i pop up last and i'm so short and i'm like i don't know you're just I'm like sorry. nervous and panicking the whole time it's like don't make me cook anything <laughs> can i write the menu uh, yeah, <laughs> let me do commentary. I'm okay at that. <laughs> so I guess we can move on to the judging phase, which is it. It goes in uh, by like how you know by dish. So like they'll you'll bring out your dish and they'll all sample it and they'll 
Like all the judges will sample it and the chairman. And chairman by and large does not speak during this part. Like or I guess at all. Like after after his intro, he doesn't talk a whole ton. In the dubs, he's the only person that still speaks Japanese. They don't dub him, they subtitle him. At least in the one that I watched. I, they do half and half. Uh usually okay. when he's when he's doing his um when he does his intro and the and the uh, background package, that's dubbed. But when he's doing the presentation of the ingredient, that's just subtitled. And and that's one of the main differences between um, Chairman Kaga of the Japanese version and the American version is because Dacascos is just nuts when he in, when he introduces the ingredient. He'll he'll scream the name out. Yeah, um, uh, you can just watch those, and that's that's part of the best part of I it. I hope but... there's a supercut. Oh man, that would be great. I remember when he introduced Battle Honey, he got like into it. Like he looked he looked frightening at how, how when he was like honey, and I was yeah. like, All right, I'm sorry. Okay, it's honey. I get it. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those pears. <laughs> yeah, I would love it if he was like, yeah, it's, it's pears. <laughs> I'm turned into pears. Well, I no, guess. but he he got it. He was like, it's um, to ring the bell of love. We're going to use a bell shaped fruit, and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was crazy. And I'm watching the show just like normally, and then about halfway through, I'm like, wait, this is the craziest thing yeah. I've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like he just like sits on on the end, and he um. I know in in America he will like he'll basically like chef introduce your next dish like but I don't think Kaga does that I think Kaga just like sits there and eats and is fine <laughs> yeah he's basically done after after the background uh, yeah data. He, he may say some stuff at the at the end and he's usually who announces the winner um, but other than that he's he's like I've said all I'm going to say my underlings will speak now. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so like the the judges will like they'll take a bite and they'll be like, oh, they'll describe the food in words that I would never use to describe food. Yeah, because like, I would be I would love to be a judge on there, but I would be the worst. Judge. <laughs> I'd be like, oh yeah, it's real good. I would be like, they'd be like, any do you, anything else? I'd be like, no, I like it. Thanks, <laughs> thank you for giving me this food. This tastes like real good. Or I'd be like, way too hot way too hot on that one and they're like that's the water that we give you to cleanse your palate and i'm like a little bit too spicy for me buddy but like and like sometimes they're very nice about it but they're all like not professional critics but like because some of them are some of them are straight up yeah. like food critics yeah. but they all like have no scruples about being like uh this is way too dry i feel like you cooked this in the desert and then left it out and then and the, the, the challengers it's usually the challengers getting blasted and they're just like Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> uh, that didn't really happen on the one I watched. There was only one judge that didn't like what she liked the dish. I can't remember what it was. It was some kind of like dessert casserole, just like layers of chocolate mousse and chocolate and pears and like a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and he wanted like a crunchy bottom, but they didn't have the ingredient. So he had to use cornflakes, like actual cornflakes. And he like mixed <laughs> chocolate in with them and like right. refrigerated it and like did the best he could but she ate it and she was like the cornflakes make this taste cheap <laughs> uh, but everybody else liked everything there was no again, that was again, the only negative feedback if that was me was. i'd be like is this cornflakes this is really <laughs> and they'd be like who let him in here again <laughs> um yeah the uh the morimoto one um the challenger who again i'll i'll look up his name in a second um one of his dishes it was like an he was like an actor or something and sometimes i get like kind of offended on behalf of the chefs i'm like who are you you're it's like it's like uh you know this guy's name actor and i'm like you're not even a chef what do you know about food like shut, 
Like, like, quit being mean to this guy. Also, you said an actor. One of the judges on mine was an actress, and, like, there was just weird underlying theme on commentary of trying to get her to admit she had a boyfriend because it was a Valentine's Day episode, and she kept telling him to shut up about it. That's, that's again, that's the weird patriarchal society. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and he was just like, yeah, there's no flavor in this. Like, I can't taste the snapper at all. And like, it's supposed to be like, it was like a chunk of the snapper itself. He's like, I don't know what you did to it, but like, I can't taste snapper at all. I'm like, hey, man, be cool. Like, no one else is mad about it. Like, <laughs> but I guess like, if they weren't, if they were all like, all of the food is good, then it would, I guess, be very exciting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the, the, the cod one that I watched last night, uh, it started the, the second to the last dish of the Iron Chef. They were... They were confused on how to judge it because uh, one of the panelists flat out said, Iron Chef, did you taste this? The first bite is awful. And then the second bite is also awful. But the third bite, it starts to be good. So I'm confused (laughs) on what to say on this. And then he said that um, this is preparation for the next dish, which was the Codro ice cream, which that they were just flat out (laughs) calling him on it. And they were saying, how dare you use this as your guinea pigs? (laughs) <laughs> and they were saying that they, they wanted to completely omit it from the scoring but they can't and he still won so <laughs> that shows how well they scored the other guy if right. they gave, if he if he zeroed one in one dish but but yeah they it can fluctuate from the overly polite but slightly condescending tone that that a lot of I forgot where I was going with this like the but honorifics uh, like the, the, way, yeah, the way that kind of there, works yeah, yeah there's a lot there's a lot of honorifics that can sometimes shift to polite condescension. Yeah. But sometimes they're just like flat in his face, tearing into him. So it can vary. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the I think we should probably mention how the scoring works. Um, so Yeah, because I don't know. I just saw the points at the end. So the, <laughs> in, in Iron Chef America, they have like categories. I did not see that in the episodes that I watched. I didn't uh, either. So if they're there, they're secret, and we're not allowed to know them. Uh, or or Ross knows them, and, and we don't. Uh, but the, I don't remember, but... Um, the, the way it works is you score it on some sort of rubric and uh, whichever one you score higher gets your vote. And then whoever has the most votes wins, essentially. So like if if like the points that I saw were like 19s and 18s. Yeah, there's like a whole there's like separate categories for each dish. They, oh, like, like OK. There's like plating, um, like taste, uh, use of theme ingredient. I think yeah. these are all like what I remember from America that I assume are, are in there somewhere. I think there's a couple more, but, but yeah, uh, the use of the theme, theme ingredient is, is why they were calling that one guy out on not using the snapper yeah. as something that tasted like snapper because it was a good dish, but it didn't really convey the theme ingredient. So they were unsure of how to count it because it was good, but you couldn't tell it was snapper. So they, they, right. they had to finagle the score on that. How much do you eat where you can eat a fish and go this is a snapper i can tell you what a lot of different <laughs> fish are by taste i don't think i can tell you snapper but like most of the other ones probably i can tell salmon apart from other fish uh, that's like that's as far as i can go with it well i can tell you what swordfish is right off the bat that's my favorite fish that's my jam it's very expensive so <laughs> so like yeah if there's if there's two yeah there's the iron chef and the challenger and you give the the challenger 18 points and the iron chef 19 points and the iron chef wins your vote and then so they oh. count up all the judges, and I guess the chairman is the tiebreaker in if that happens. Yeah, if it's needed, uh, or 
there's there can be a secondary battle. There was actually one where they where they ran into overtime and they had a scallion battle just as secondary theme ingredient. So I don't remember if they. It, it, I think it may be a different format between seasons because they may. I, I think I remember the chairman being a tiebreaker vote once, but I I do remember that there was a, a second battle on one episode. So I I think so. it is. I think you're right. I think it is a second because I know in in one episode, the chairman was like, "Allow me this one. Like, let me be selfish. I like <laughs> this one dish that the Iron Chef did way better. So that's who wins because it was a tie." Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was only the one time though, from, from what I read. And then, yeah, there is like an overtime battle where you have like 30 minutes to do like, however, like one, one or two dishes, I think. And then like with, with a second theme ingredient, and then that determines who wins and who is, who, uh, goes home crying. Yeah. And that's what I say. It may have been a seasonal thing too. Cause in the first season, it wasn't the, the challenger would win the people's fame and ovation. It was the challenger would be known as an honorary iron chef. And I guess somebody had to be known as an honorary Iron Chef. So from that point on, they were like, uh, "Scrap that! We're just going to say that the people were chill, will cheer for you." <laughs> so right, it could have changed in between uh, seasons. Yeah, that's another thing is when you if you're an Iron Chef and you win, you get like a star that you put on the back of your uniform. That like yeah. is your win count? Like <laughs> you get, it, it, like you're like you're Yu Gi Oh, and you got to get stars so you can go challenge Pegasus <laughs> and Duelist Kingdom. Yeah, but so like that's that's mostly what the judging is. Um, and then like yeah, there's like the big ceremony at the end, and Kaga ramps the the drama up like crazy, and then he's like, "It's Sakai." Like you know, it, like it, it was Sakai. Three and O deserve battles. That guy. Good for him. <laughs> He beat the second best dessert maker in the world. That's crazy. Because he made three dishes, and the other one only made two. And he used cornflakes, so he lost some points. Let that be a lesson. Why didn't he put cornflakes there? One intern was like, that's mine. Oh, someone took my cornflakes. And it was probably supposed to be frosted flakes. Right. (laughs) It was the knockoff. Oh, yeah, store Um, brand. They're like, yeah, yeah, they're they're public brand. brand. Cornflakes. Corn shavings. (laughs) Oh, man. Flakes of corn. I don't know what Hannaford's are. Hannaford's were the laziest. They would be like instead of Cheerios, they'd be like Tastios, and instead of Fruit Loops, they're Tasty Loops. And it's like it's like all right, guys, you're come on, show some respect to the food. Like come on. So is there anything else about the the judging we want to talk about before we want to talk about statistics? Any any notable things happen in the judging for either of the episodes that you guys watch besides your cornflake uh, debacle? No, not really. I think that was it. There was one where that guy, uh, the author guy that I was talking about earlier, he tasted one and it was like a milk chocolate, white chocolate mixture with pears or whatever. But the pears were not the important part. He was like, the mix of this chocolate is like a seductive dance between a man and a woman. And he like (laughs) went to explain how the white chocolate was like a, I can't remember what he said, but it was like a female submitting or something. And then the the milk chocolate was like the male bowing to her out of love or some weird. It was just the weirdest way to describe that this chocolate tastes good together. (laughs) (laughs) I remember uh, one of the judges, I had her name wrong the entire time. I thought that her, uh, her name was Asako Hoshi and she was a fortune teller and Hoshi means star. So I thought her name was Miss Star, the fortune teller. (laughs) But her last name was actually Kishi, as I found out when I was rewatching last night. So the entire time that I was watching it, when it was on air on Food Network, I had her name wrong. And I was like, that's hilarious. And then I was like, it's not so funny when it turns out to be the wrong name. It doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> it's like, that was meaningless. All right, so let's pull up some statistics. All right, so these are these are just like the, the win-losses of the um, Iron Chefs. And uh, Ross, you probably know who the Iron Chef is 
like you know which version of of each specialty they were um probably better than we do because there's just uh oh no i guess there's numbers next to their names um so <laughs> so uh chen kenichi who was iron chef chinese had 66 wins and 24 losses and three draws uh he had 93 battles that's a lot of cooking fights uh, yeah, I was going to say, we, we barely mentioned uh, Kenichi, and he, he just whomped everybody that he went against. Yeah, and like that's, I think, the most battles. Yeah, he has like the most by... Sakai is below him by like a reasonable amount. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then, then there's Iron Chef French 1, uh, Yutuka Ishinabe. Ishinabe? Um, he had seven wins and one loss. He only had eight battles, so I guess he wasn't there for very long. <laughs> Took that one loss and just left. Yeah, there's a loser lose down cook fight. <laughs> well, and I think that's a lot of why Kenichi had such a record too, because he was he was there from the beginning, and he he wasn't a late entry, and he wasn't a replacement for somebody that retired because Ishinabe was only on the first season. Uh, Sakai replaced him, so uh, he was there for the rest of the run. Yeah, and J- Japan had three Iron Chefs, so th- uh, none of theirs are going to have a, a a large battle record. But uh, Kobe was a late entry as well. But yeah, Kenichi was there from the very beginning, so he had a lot more appearances. So. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Sakai, he had seventy wins, fifteen losses, and one draw. So for eighty-six total battles, um, but he has a very good win percent. Um, te- technically. Uh, Ishinabe has a better win percent, but he only had eight battles, so I'm I'm, yeah. I'm DQing him. He's he's out of the running. Um, but yeah, he, his his win because they have a win ratio on on here, which was 82, percent which is uh that's pretty nuts for that amount of battles. Kobe, who we talked about, Iron Chef Italian, had 16 wins, seven losses, and one draw for 24 total battles. He was like a like a secondary addition, right? Like he wasn't one of the primary Iron Chefs because they only had like the three main ones. Yeah, they didn't, even, they didn't even have the Italian position in the first season. I, I think it was second season. It may have even been the third season when he was added, but it, he there wasn't a primary chef, uh, Iron Chef Italian to, from the beginning. But the others, uh, yeah, it was Chinese, Japanese, and French. So, yeah, it was just the three main ones, uh, the three main positions. It wasn't always the same person, but yeah. yeah. And then like, he had like walk out on the side. Like He had to, like, had to like come in from the left. To be like, this is me and my tomato. Everyone else fight a, me, please. <laughs> please. Yeah, everybody else had a raising platform. He just walked up a step stool. So, oh, also, I, I should probably go over their colors. Uh, so, so Chen Kenichi is yellow or uh, that might be gold. It's on Wikipedia, so it's hard to tell. Uh, Ishinabe was green. Sakai is red, and his his uniform is slick. Like this guy could be like a pirate captain <laughs> uh, in in his sweet outfit. Kobe is, is white, uh, and then next up is uh, oh boy. Roku Saburo. Roku Saburo Michiba. That's the guy. That's the one. Uh, he had 33 wins. Yeah, he was the original Iron Chef Japan. And he had a he had a cool-looking blue hat, and he was all serious, and he'd just come up with his arms on his hips like angry Superman. Oh, nice. Uh, he had 33 wins, five losses, and one draw for 39 total battles. Um, and he had 85%. I think his is the best without you know only having eight battles, because that guy right. obviously is... Crushing the competition. Next up is Kome Nakamura, or Komi. Kome is correct. Kome. Okay, uh, Nakamura. I knew that name because that's a wrestler's last name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He had he had twenty two wins, eleven losses, one draw, and one no contest. Ross, what is a no contest in this game? How do you? 
I don't know. I don't remember that one. I I actually don't even rem- remember this guy. I only know of him because I was re- I was reading up on what the Ota faction is because it was mentioned in one of the episodes that I watched last night. Yeah, and that's when I found out about the, the basically the retirement match. So I don't know what his no contest was. This is I, the only no contest, right? That's yeah, what this, I can this see is it. This is the only no contest. So I did he uh, like? That's, that's probably why he got a retirement match. So. Did he try to sabotage the other person's dish and get disqualified? <laughs> they had to throw like, it all out. The NWO attacked him midway speaking, through. Speaking of sabotaging a dish, Sakai was it Sakai or was it the the challenger? Just tossed a handful of salt over there. No, he was making his own dish. He was making ice cream, and he like put pepper on it. The commentary team was all about putting pepper on sweet things. I was like, yeah, it's like it's two things you don't think would work, but pepper on sweet stuff just is the best. And now I'm like, I'm gonna try that. Huh. I'm going to put some pepper on my Reese's egg when I get home. We're going <laughs> to see how that goes. I recently like pepper. Like That's a new development in my life. So like <laughs> maybe I'll try that. It's real good on eggs. Put that on eggs like crazy. Um, yep. and, then, and then finally, it, uh, Masaharu Morimoto, Iron Chef Japanese number three. He had 17 wins, eight losses, and one draw. What's his color? Uh, he is uh, silver. Okay. Uh, oh, and Nakamura's is purple, um, by the way. I, I think Michibuz is blue i don't know if i said that or not if nothing else everyone listening should just like go look at a lineup of the iron chefs because like i want to write that comic book uh <laughs> like that is a cool looking <laughs> like way to be like you just show up and you have like and they made a big deal of Masahar morimoto's like new outfit like they made like a big deal out of it so like uh, it's important like it's what you look like it's your signature yeah. look they just they look so cool they look like superheroes like chef superheroes it's great <laughs> And that's part of what disappointed me about the American version, because the American version, everybody wears basically the same uniform. There's there's a little bit of color vari- variation, but it's mostly just the blue chef's uniform. Even Morimoto, who was who uh, basically brought the show over, uh, he's he's not wearing a silver garb anymore. He's not wearing a cool hat or anything. He's just wearing standard uniform. Yeah, it was like they were like different. They they, they like different colors. Like you know, one was like it's white, but it's just regular, or like yeah. this one's red. I think, and I think that was only early on. I think later on they kind of homogenized it mm-hmm. um, into like less unique, which I think takes away a lot of like the yeah. flavor that I don't it has. Know why they oh would... God, I did it again! I can't stop. I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they would choose to do that. I don't either. We, let's make this less cool. Let's take this real cool <laughs> thing and make it less cool. Well, the American one focused more on the cooking because that's it was all uh, all of its Iron Chefs were all existing food ne- food network superstars already. So yeah. it was more focused on what their styles of cooking were and the actual cooking itself. It didn't go near into the theatrics and pageantry of what the Jap- uh, the original Japanese version did. And I've never seen the Thailand version, so I couldn't speak to that. But. I didn't watch it at all, but like as I was looking through episodes, like every other one was Iron Chef Thailand. Like every, yeah, like, every single other one was like, "Hey, do you want to watch Iron Chef Thailand?" I was like, "No, thank you. I appreciate the offer, uh, YouTube, <laughs> but I don't." I mean, a little bit now. I just wouldn't be able to hear what they were saying because I tried watching the first episode because the first season was only a half an hour long. Like you had a half an hour. They might have had an hour to cook still but they just cut it down to a half an hour episode they were like half hour episodes and i tried watching it but it was all in japanese and it wasn't even subtitled and i was like oh like right i just can't get into this so i was like let me find the first dubbed one and that was uh, morimoto's debut and i was like oh this is what i was looking for this is what was yeah this is what i'm in for anything else uh can we talk about the dub for a second just how crazy it is yes absolutely <laughs> We were talking about it a little bit earlier, but when he, like, every time, the, in the English dub, they still do the Fukai-san, and it sounds kind of weird coming from, like, a, just, like, a guy. Like, a, yeah. <laughs> like a, like a regular American guy. Uh, yeah, it's just every once in a while cutting in with Fukai-san. 
focus yeah, on. Yeah, is is this guy doing this thing? Yes, he is. This is what this thing is. And it's like, yeah. okay, like. Yeah, they would like question if he was trying to make caramel, and then he would come and be like, he is actually making caramel, and <laughs> they'd be like, they'd all go, oh, thank you. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was so weird. It's so like. Well, I guess preserved is the word I want to say, and I feel like that's another food pun, and I'm just too deep. I'm knee-deep in, in the weeds now. One of us. One of us. Never. The commentary that like the, the dub provides feels like it's being very truthful to like the commentary from like the actual Japanese show. Um, just like, like I remember there was one woman who was like, speaking, but she didn't know what she wanted to say, so she was speaking in like two-second bursts. And, but like, they copied that directly. The dub matches mm-hmm. all the yeah. pauses and like purposely puts in ums and ahs where they are in the original. It's it's a crazy level of detail. Yeah. And it's great acting on the on the parts of the dub actors as well, because I I remember the Valentine's Day one that you were talking about, and when they were when they kept pressuring the actress about do you have a boyfriend? Don't you want to tell us if you have a boyfriend? Is he cute? She's like, hmm. <laughs> That's none of your business, and yeah, we just and gradually the, get more and more embarrassed. And the and the dub actor was conveying that you can you can actually lose yourself and forget that you're watching a dub. It's that well done. Yeah, even when they're not on screen, like when we're watching the cooking and the commentators are talking, they're still matching the way the commentators are talking, even though they don't necessarily have to. Yeah, like all the pauses and uncertainty and all of that stuff is still preserved in the dub. It's crazy. Yeah, the the only place that it was a little off or, or weird I guess was in the um like the very beginning they have like a little interview after they introduce the um like do like the vignette on the challenger they have like kind of an interview with him or, or, or her in, in some cases just kind of as part of that like vignette to introduce him and like that's the only place it was a little weird because you could still hear like him talking underneath it and they would just kind of like just put the like what he means over top of it and it wasn't mm-hmm. as like perfect crisp. it wasn't as crisp but I think it it felt a lot more realistic i guess because you're like oh he's just translating what this guy's saying they're not trying to become this guy yeah that's mm. what i noticed that during the judging on mine because you again you could hear him underneath it but you could tell because you could hear the original dialogue underneath you could tell that the voice actor doing the dub was matching his pauses like pausing at the same time yeah it was bananas yeah, and sometimes you just run out of syllables to where if you're trying to match the speed of speaking you might have to drag words out like that and that can sound ridiculous so sometimes that's that's where the stereotype of the of the asian movies comes from where there's just mouth is clearly still moving after the actor is done speaking and all that so but yeah that's where that comes from yeah you you get that with german translations a lot too where there's just so many syllables in a word that an english word has maybe two at the most right and then there's also like you can have like a like a like da 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 like that that little amount of syllables, but that can mean like a whole sentence, right? You yeah. know, in Japanese, yeah. so like they have to like try to like figure out how that's gonna work too. And it's it's really well done. Like the 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 dub actors are like really spot on with it. And like I like it's sort of it's this like weird art that you don't really appreciate until you're like, wait a minute, like I'm watching a Japanese show right yeah. now, and it doesn't seem like it. And the voices were good, which was <laughs> which is yeah. a real. A good thing for me. Yeah, I, bad I wasn't voice acting is cool. <laughs> and they keep they keep a constant cast for the reoccurring characters too. Even for the Iron Chefs, it's they they appear sporadically because it's not the same Iron Chef battling every episode. But every episode that they appear on, it's the same actor, and they they maintain the same sort of personality. They 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 each they each maintain the personality that's attributed to the Iron Chef as well. Like Kenichi's really he's kind of serious until he 
is not under so much stress, and then he becomes very jovial and talkative to the reporter. But that's why when it's first starting out, you won't hear a lot out of him because he's like, leave me alone. Right, right. <laughs> Getting ready to cook, man. This ain't the time. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta do a cook battle right now, right? Be, get off my back. And sometimes uh, Sakai will just gradually get a little bit tipsy, and the and the dub actor will start reflecting that as well. That's real good. Good job. Yeah. If you were a dub actor, the odds of you listening to this is admittedly very slim, but like, good job. Great job, friend. <laughs> you, did, you did a great job. <laughs> I think that's it. I think we covered it. Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, like, uh, what episodes? You watched the dessert episode. You talked like, a bit about that. What, what episodes did you watch, uh, Ross? Um, last night I watched the cod battle. Um, I watched part of the anglerfish battle. That one goes over time, so I didn't want to watch the whole thing, and it's gross anyway because everything that's made with it is is guts and all that. It's all so guts. It was like, yeah, I was like, and not the good kind of guts with the Nickelodeon splat all over it. Do you but, have it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I didn't want it. Uh, so I I I didn't finish that one. And what was the other one that I watched? I think I watched a little bit. I don't remember. That's the main one that I remember is the is the cod battle and the angler anglerfish battle. I watched uh, the red snapper battle and then I watched the uh, the long gone chicken battle, which is like the last episode, which I did on purpose. I was like, let me watch the first dubbed episode and the last dubbed episode so I can see how they change. And they're like a hundred plus episodes apart, and they're like the production is still spot on. It's like the the only difference is like the stage was different. It was like a lot bigger. They had like the um. There was a lot better lit, so you could see like the whole crowd, and and the Iron Chefs were all like lined up in in a row, like just all like sitting there in the stands, like cheering on Sakai because it was like <laughs> it was for, like for essentially the World Cooking Championship, uh, mm-hmm. which is insane. They also had all the previous Iron Chefs there, the ones that had retired, as well as the main pe- the main two people of the Oda faction were all in attendance for that. So. Yeah, uh, the Oda faction is another thing I looked up a little bit. There's there's ten of people in the Oda faction, and they all were they all would come in and challenge Morimoto because mm-hmm. that was their that was their thing because he was he was this young upstart with his new <laughs> fancy cooking ideas and mm-hmm. and uh, they only beat him once. They only had one win out of all ten. I think it was either ten times they challenged him or ten people challenged him a number of times and only one of them won. I don't I don't know how many times, but like. That's a good. That's a pretty good win loss record to, to for mm-hmm. Morimoto. But yeah, that's it's insane to me that they would do that on a cooking show. Like, cause that's pro wrestling as heck, man. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's. I think that's it. I think that's all I got. You guys talked about like an overarching story. I don't want to get super into it, but like, what is what's the pitch line of the, of the story of this show? Uh, Ross, you want to take this one? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll 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 take that one. It's kind of what's alluded to in the uh, opening. Um, intro where it's the the many years ago a man fulfilled his fantasy by creating a kitchen arena it's basically uh chairman kaga what he's the chairman of is a gourmet academy i don't know exactly which gourmet academy but it's a really highly ranked gourmet academy in japan and he's a very highly respected venerable member of that academy um obviously at a chairman level it's kind of a redundant statement, but sure. But um, hey, yeah, well, that's what works, right? So uh, it was it was his idea to experience new cuisine and and basically push master chefs to new levels to see what they were truly capable of, and then to experience it all. And to do that, he had to bring in not only the best of the best to become his men, but also the best of the rest to challenge his men to push them higher. 
And that's where things like the Oda faction really came into play was they they basically mopped the floor with the with the middle Iron Chef Japan. And that's why he left and then was replaced by Morimoto. And that's when they stepped up their game and were just challenging him, challenging him left and right. And that was a lot of the drama that was brought from that. Um, but that's what the overall story was, was he wanted to experience the, the best in the world of the artistry and the taste and cooking ability. It, it, like they do lay it all, and they, there's, a, there's a quote in the beginning. I forget exactly what it is. It's like, show me what a man eats. And I will tell you who he is, or something. Something to that effect. Yeah, I saw that too. Uh, and and it's like, it, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Is that it? Is that close? It's close to it. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's something like, um, "Show me what you eat, and I'll tell you what you are," or something like that. I remember yeah. the guy who said it. It's Brilat Savarin. But yeah, and so it's like, like that's you know, this is like weird commentary on like you know, you are what you eat, but also like you know. Like the character deep, wise, yeah, like your character is like based in what you eat, and so like if you are the top chef like you have to have like a real strong character right like if you're right. an iron chef and like they're called iron chefs that's like the that's like the translation they're actually like like i forget what the actual term for it is let me look it up real quick that's gene which means iron man it's just like you're unbeatable you are you are the unbeatable <laughs> chef but like i love the idea of a guy being like you know what i want to do i want to make a, an arena where two people battle while cooking until they like become better from it right like it's it's so insane that they that like the show even exists and it went like 300 episodes or like 299 episodes mm -hmm. i think and then there was a couple specials um there was one called the 2000s dish special where it was like two teams of three it was a trios battle uh essentially <laughs> uh between like three iron Triple chefs <laughs> yeah and there was like three iron chefs on one side and three challengers on the other side and they had to like like work together to make the the dishes. Um, I didn't watch that one. I was I was gonna do that today, but I had to edit some other stuff, so I so I was not able to. I don't know. It's a great show. It's a real good show. You guys you guys should just hop on YouTube and go watch some old Iron Chef. And something that we totally forgot it was uh, the quality of the ingredients themselves. We didn't talk about how lavish these were. This there was the expensive stuff. I mean, it, it could be thousands of dollars of whatever the ingredient was. It was all stuff you would never even consider unless you were a very monetarily advantaged person. It wouldn't even be on your radar as something that is a normal food item. And the chefs treated it like it was just, ah, it's another ingredient. But yeah. when you when you would see it, it was just the most ridiculous, ex most ridiculously expensive things you could think of. Yeah, that, that long gong chicken is like, they, they were talking about it, and they're like, this was bread in one town. <laughs> Yeah. One guy made this chicken, and it's the best. These are the best chicken, and there's like 500 of them on this thing, and they're like the most expensive chicken in the world. And like, there are people like when they revealed it, like the audience gasped <laughs> because they're like, oh, "That's so much long gone chicken." In yeah. stark contrast to that, they also have cornflakes. Yeah, again, <laughs> I'm sure that that was an intern. That was one of the ghost chefs. That was his breakfast. He left it in the pantry on accident, and then the Iron Chef was like, "This is fair game. It's in the pantry. It's gotta be mine." It was not like, the Iron Chef. It was the challenge. The challenge. What I meant. He's like, "Oh, this must be fair game," because he didn't know. And the, the, he's the, like, "I need a crunchy crust, and this is all they have that's crunchy." And Ghost Chef was like, "No, that's mine. <laughs> I was oh. gonna eat that tomorrow morning." Oh, it's gone, place. and it's gone, and also all the judges hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Only the one lady. Hated she hated it. Everyone my else breakfast. was like. It tasted it said this was fine, pretty much. I got to see if there's like a breakfast battle. 
I bet there is. There's a lot of episodes. I, I imagine. There probably is. Yeah, because I I'm really into breakfast foods, and so I would like to see just him put my, some real fancy ones, just like real <laughs> real fancy breakfast foods. Because like I'm pretty good at making eggs over easy. That's as far as it goes right now. I can also like flip an omelet, basically perfect every time. Uh, it's one of my superpowers. But other than that, it's kind of where my eggs skills start and stop. Uh, but like. They probably cook like they're in a Ghibli movie. Like I bet, like, <laughs> like you look at like like uh, that scene in Spirit Away, and like that's just like pictures of Iron Chef food that they that they made. Uh, I'm pretty sure Kenichi made a giant pancake one time, and that was one of the things that they would always show him. Speaking of anime style cooking, one of the things they would almost invariably show of Kenichi would be him loading up this gigantic wok with all kinds of ingredients, and then just throwing it all almost up to the ceiling, and then catching it all. Yeah. And then and then um both Kenichi and Sakai would use stuff like foie gras like it was ketchup. Yeah, so. just, just toss it all over. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what foie gras is. It's like grass, right? Goose liver. Goose liver. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. It's a nice garnish on whatever. <laughs> Never had goose liver. I've had chicken <laughs> I've had chicken liver cuz I'm from New Hampshire. And that's just that's something we eat up there, but never, never fancy goose liver. Uh, it's usually served um, raw as a pate, but they would usually cook it into things. But huh, that's again, that's gross, just like a but... level of a, a level of cooking I would never get to. Yeah, like I just I have no, uh, I have no I way to get there. I can't imagine my life heading down a path where I need to cook goose liver at any point. I can't imagine just like having it around. Like if or it having... comes into my possession, I'm like, who who gave this to me? How did I get this goose liver? <laughs> All right, I think that's going to end it. I think that's where we're going to end for today. Uh, we talked about pretty much everything. Yeah, we covered everything I think I wanted to cover. Same. Anything, anything else, Ross? Anything else you think we should uh, run over real quick? No, I mean, I think we covered it all. Um, everybody, go check it out. I talked down on America. It's not bad. It's not as good as the original J- Japanese version. You, sh- you should at least watch one episode of that. If you've any interest in Japanese culture, whatever... I talk like I know a whole lot about it. I don't. If you're really interested in Japanese culture, check out Zach Davison on Twitter. Uh, Jake, he's he's the guy who does oh, the he, back he matter just, uh, in Wayward that we read. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a great comic. Also, if anyone's not reading it, but yeah, he he's a uh, like a historian slash just like general expert on the whole culture of Japan, like from like the top down. Yeah, but. Um, that's what I say. So, so check it out. Yeah, and uh, oh, also one last thing. Uh, Bobby Flay was a challenger on the original Iron Chef. Uh, that's that's you know one of the Iron Chefs in the Iron Chef America. Uh, so he was a mm-hmm. challenger, and he fought Morimoto, and um, he won. And he stood on his cutting board, which is like a huge no no. <sighs> like because it's is not like, actually his cutting board. Yeah, it wasn't even his. And like, but that's like disrespect to like the nth degree and yeah. like like morimoto was like you are not a chef <laughs> like because he did that and so like he came back later and he won again and so he went to stand up on his like the the station that and he so he took the the cutting board and threw it on the ground first so he wouldn't step on it which i also feel like is very disrespectful <laughs> yeah it wasn't any better it was oh, actually he's, worse <laughs> he's the brian cage of yeah of iron chef he just doesn't care about lucha tradition uh he just spray paints a black bf on it right <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Bobby Flay was the NWO of, of that, like more than the Oda faction. Uh, all right, so that's where we're gonna leave it. Uh, Josh, what do you, what do we want to do next time? Because normally we we talk about that. 
I'm I'm leaning towards Family Double Dare because we have my roommate wants to do a guest spot. Yeah, on that one. All right, so. Yeah, let's do that next time. So we'll do Family I Double can, Dare next I'm time. Always down to watch some Double Dare. Yeah, just just get sloppy, <laughs> just get sloppy and gross. Uh, Ross, thank you so much for for coming on and and helping us out with with this. Not a problem at all. It's been my pleasure. We're definitely going to have to have you back for something else later down the road. Uh, for sure. Where can people find you on uh, on the internets? That's Ross underscore Butler. If you do just Ross Butler, that's where you're going to find the other Ross Butler, who is also an actor, who is also vaguely Asian. So make sure it's the right Ross Butler, which is Ross underscore Butler. And uh, if you're looking for anyone to do like really soothing voiceover, uh, hit him up. Seriously, I'm, I'm actually an aspiring voice actor, so... Seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a real plug. Like I, I yeah. I'm very yeah. <laughs> into, I'm very into your voice. Let's let's get it on truck commercials or something. <laughs> we invited him on the show. Uh, peel back the curtain a little bit. So hopefully, hoping that his voice would bring ours up a few yes. levels. So. <laughs> uh, mine's awful and nasally, so we needed to balance that out with like just like a nice like <laughs> nice bass. <laughs> Um, so you can, you well, can I don't find know about us. bringing it up a few levels, but we sure made you do some uh, good old puns and dad jokes there. Oh, God, I feel so horrible. I need to take a nap. <laughs> I'm going to bed now. Uh, so you can find us online. Uh, we're at Hey Jake and Josh. You can email us at HeyJakeAndJosh at gmail.com. HeyJakeAndJosh.com is our website. That's pretty much the... Go on iTunes, leave a rating and review. We're oh. on Patreon. Kick us some money. Patreon.com slash HeyJakeAndJosh. It's very... The, the SEO is, is, is all there. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we super appreciate any reviews we only got one from alan which uh we'll read next time i don't have it pulled up but we're at the end now so that's fine um, i need to do i need to do my nonsensical review of this show sometime your uh your your pokemon world tour review is one of my favorites because every notch. time i see it i'm like man chumble wumble would be a good pokemon <laughs> and that's gonna do it for us for today we'll catch you in a month that's the other thing i don't i didn't mention at the top of the show we're now monthly the last thursday yeah. of every month because it's uh it we, we try to make a special we're gonna have guests on from here on out unless something goes terribly wrong uh, so Ross, you were kind of the guinea pig on that. On that. Um, I think you set a high bar. So uh, even though we did, we did have Tony on in the first episode. Never mind what I just said. Forget that. Uh, you raised the bar for sure. Um, so that's it for today. We don't have a sign off. We don't. We'll see you guys next time. Keep playing sports and listening to things about them. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Guest cast. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>